Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 90. Psalm 90. If you would please stand for the reading of scripture. And I would point out to you, notice these beautiful flower arrangements from uh, Jonathan and Caroline Williams' wedding here yesterday. They're off headed for the Keys, Florida Keys. I realized yesterday as that wedding was going on that Jonathan and Caroline have been dating longer than my wife and I have been married. So give you perspective there. Uh, Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou has formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. And may God add his richest blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful that you have spoken to us in your word stands forever. So we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would open our ears that we would hear you. You would open our eyes that we would see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. We pray you would open our hearts that we would receive him gladly and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. So speak to us and bless us, we pray, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. 
I've got to tell the children something this morning, so I'll extend my children's message. I know none of you are going to ask your parents to fry you any uh, hog jaw, but if you do, please remind them that they need to soak it in some water for a little while first, otherwise you better have about a gallon of Gatorade on hand. This morning I want to preach to you on three predictions for 2019. I am sometimes pretty good at predicting what will happen, sometimes not so good. But I have three predictions for us today. Now these predictions, I can assure you, will happen. It will happen because the Word of God says they're going to happen. Psalm 90. Statistics show that Psalm 90 is most frequently used by ministers at funerals and at New Year's services. I guess that shows us that ministers have a pessimistic outlook on the future. But one thing that both a funeral service and the turning of the calendar bring us face to face with is the brevity of life. And the eternity of God. And so as we think together this morning about a new year. A turning of the page. Our mortality and God's immortality. Let's see three predictions God gives us himself for a new year. First prediction, God will not change. Think I'm safe making that prediction. God will not change. Look at verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is the same from everlasting to everlasting. He is the unchanging God. He is the perfectly independent one. He needs no one outside of himself for anything. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are perfectly satisfied in and of themselves. Some of us are ornerier than others. Some of us have more of an independent streak than others. Some of us have a reputation for being very independent people. We're not as independent as we may like to think we are. We depend on countless people every single day 
provide us food, electricity, transportation, our very life. We didn't get it from ourselves. We got it from our mother. But God is completely self-sufficient. And therefore, he and he alone is perfectly independent. And he doesn't change. Circumstances do not take God by surprise. Nothing we do ever changes God. Nothing can be imposed on him from the outside that would have any control over him the way it does us. Information is given to us. Circumstances are thrown on us from outside of us and they create a reaction in us that controls us. That is not so with God. Ten years ago, a fellow minister told me that if I did not learn to get on and use social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever else they got, that I would not be able to minister to people effectively in the 21st century. And I told him then, and I tell you 10 years later, that if the day ever comes that to be an effective minister, I must learn to use social media on a computer, that is the day God has no longer called me to be a minister. I will not do it. 10 years I'm still preaching. The world changes. But no experience changes God. We have been through experiences that have made profound changes in our lives. When I was not quite 25 years old, my father went bankrupt and shot himself in the head. It changed my life. It changed the person that I am. I went from being a carefree, spendthrift to a pretty tight one. I determined I didn't want to leave other people in the position in which I had been left. At 24, I had to sell a home that belonged to someone else that was in foreclosure. I had to meet with a lawyer two or three times a week to make sure I didn't do anything that would get me sued. Though looking back, I had nothing for anybody to take. What was I worried about getting sued? Had to meet with the state of North Carolina, the Internal Revenue Service. Employment Security Commission, meet with angry clients from my father's business that I didn't know anything about. Maybe I'm being too personal this morning. I don't like to do that. But in those days, I remember the church I worked in up in Mooresville, North Carolina. I was a youth worker like Jonathan going to seminary. 
And back in those days, after taxes and all, my check every month was $923.50. My daddy's funeral cost $4,600, and I got a good deal on it. Twenty-four. Every month I got my check. I'd pay my bills. I'd take what I had left and go to the funeral home and pay them what I could. Lord bless me in ways I didn't see coming. Somehow, on less than a thousand dollars a month total salary, I managed to pay off my daddy's funeral in less than a year. That experience changed me. Changed my outlook on life. Changed my outlook on money. Always been a little bit paranoid since that event. I expect I will be for the rest of my life, just a little bit. I admire the greatest generation that went off and won World War II so much because not only were they the greatest generation to go off and win a war, to fight for the freedom of the whole world, but they came home and they didn't know what PTSD was back then. And they came home and went to work and raised their families and became not only the greatest generation overseas, but the greatest generation to take care of business at home, many of them suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and nobody even knew what it was. They just did their duty. But no experience has ever changed God. From everlasting to everlasting, he is the same. That's what Psalm 90 says. But let's move to the New Testament. God became man. Think of the incarnation. God, who was completely independent, became a tiny baby and became as dependent on the Virgin Mary as any of us were dependent on our mothers. It says in the book of Revelation that Jesus on the throne is as a lamb that had been slain. He is still to this day. God Almighty is incarnate. He is in flesh. He is in fleshed with scars. God, the creator, became a creature. The one who needs nothing became completely dependent on other human beings. And then the one who is of pure eyes than to look upon iniquity became sin. And then God, who has no beginning and will never end, became a man and died. You can't go through any more radical a change than that. 
Did God change? No. Is God any more or less loving than He was before He became incarnate in Jesus Christ? No. Is God any more or less gracious or good than He was before He became incarnate? Absolutely not. You cannot improve upon perfection. Now here's why this is relevant. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Now look up before verse 1 at the superscription. It says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses wrote this prayer. Moses, whom the Lord used to lead the people out of Bondage in Egypt to the promised land. Moses, who was there when the destroyer passed over Egypt and took the firstborn, but passed over every house when he saw the blood on the doorpost. The Lord who had parted the sea and caused the nation to pass through on dry land and then put the sea back together on top of Pharaoh and his army. And then Moses led the people out right to the brink of the promised land. Kadesh Barnea, they sent the spies out and they said, Oh my goodness, we can't take this land. The people there are too big and too strong. God, the Lord said he would fight for us, but he's not going to do it. We can't trust him. So then they came under judgment. You will not enter the promised land. They said, oh, we'll trust God now. It's too late. Forty years wandering in the wilderness. Before that, the children of Israel had spent 400 and some odd years in Egypt in a strange land as slaves. They, you remember, originally went down there because of a famine. And Joseph was able to bring his family to safety. Before that, God had promised the good land to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but they had a few burial plots, but that was it. For all this time... You see, they had no home. They had no true home. And so Moses says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Lord, we have no home but you. I remember as a small boy, three or four times a year, my grandparents would take me to visit our family where they came from in northeastern North Carolina. Occasionally my granddaddy would drive us down to where Pearl had grown up, a little community called White Hat, Endurance Neck. I know that means a lot to you. It's down where the Perquimans River empties into the Albemarle Sound. Pearl's daddy, my great-grandfather, he rented a farm there when Pearl was growing up. And he, he rented a magnificent old farmhouse that had been built by a general in the 1800s. In Pearl's old photo album from the 1940s, it looked like terror. And my people could have never owned such a place. 
But during the Depression, my great-granddaddy could rent it. But 40 years later, when I was a child, every time we would go back to visit and, and my granddaddy would drive us by it, it looked like a 30-mile-per-hour wind could raise that thing to the ground. It looked like it hadn't been painted since Pearl moved out in 1948. Junk piled up everywhere. And Pearl always talked about how sad it was to see the house she grew up in, the house she got married in, totally gone to the dogs like that. We see these things happen. But maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing when the things of this earth in which we take comfort go down. Maybe those of us who are longer in the tooth, it is a good thing that we hardly recognize our country anymore all around us because the reality is our only home is God himself. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity into our hearts. He put it in there and therefore we all have a desire for constancy. But we have a tendency to try to fill it with something other than God. That's why we love our traditions. That's why you city people are set in your ways. That's why we country people are set in our ways. Some of us, as we start a new year, we need to review what has become our dwelling place. That we are filling our God-given need for unchanging constancy other than God. It'll disappoint you, whatever it is. Because God and God alone will not change. That's my first prediction. Second prediction, we will remain under the wrath of God. It's going to get more uplifting, I promise. We will remain under the wrath of God. Look at verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. Moses turns immediately from the eternity of God to the frailty of man. And he gives five illustrations. And no, I'm not going to go over all five of them. But he says, with God a thousand years are as yesterday. You know, Peter famously says, with God a thousand years is as a day. And a day is a thousand years. Moses, he, he outdoes Peter. He, say, he doesn't say a thousand years is a day. He says a thousand years with God is yesterday. It's already gone. Verse 5, thou carriest them away as with a flood. You remember three or four years ago when they had the flooding in Columbia when the Lake Murray filled up and the dam busted. The devastation, the irresistible 
time. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all her sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream, dies at the opening day. And then at the end of verse 5, he says, In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. Now I know they've improved that tall fescue. But when I was coming up in Statesville, my granddaddy tried everything he could to get a stand of that old Kentucky 31 in in the yard. You know that old Kentucky 31, you got to work on it all fall and and all spring. It's a beautiful grass, but it's a high-maintenance grass. You can't cut it any shorter than about three and a half inches, and therefore sometimes you got to cut it about twice a week or it looks ragged. It likes it cool. It's beautiful in the spring. It becomes beautiful again in the fall. But it looks horrible in July and August. Moses says we're like that tall fescue. We're high maintenance. And we looked pretty good in the milder months. But the sun is coming. July is coming. John Calvin says, Every man when he compares himself with others flatters himself that he will live to old age. If we do not consider God, we do not realize how quickly we vanish away. You know, you you compare ourselves to others, we we look pretty good. I can compare myself to uh, some folk and think, Oh, I'm going to live a relatively long life. Compare yourself to God. My life's not going to be very long at all. Hope you don't run me out of this church. I could compare myself to Russell Beard and say I'm pretty tall. Compare myself to Esther Beard, I'm pretty short. (laughs) The eternity of God and the frailty of man. Calvin again said that to be confronted with God is to be confronted with ourselves. To be confronted with His eternity is to be confronted with our mortality. And then look at verse 10. He says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, that's seventy. If by strength of they be fourscore years, yes, their strength, labor, and sorrow, for we're soon cut off and we fly away. He says, Lifespan of the average human is seventy to eighty years. If you've already passed that, I don't mean to discourage you. Keep on living. But Moses lived fifteen hundred years before Christ. So this was 3,500 years ago. Now think of what's happened in the last 3,500 years. We now have x-rays, CAT scans, PET scans, 
chemotherapy, radiation, heart and lung machines, respirators, open heart surgery, heart catheterizations. And what is the life expectancy in the United States today? It is 78.69 years. For the last three years, it's actually started getting shorter again. All our advances. And we are still in Psalm 90 and verse 10. But Moses goes further than this. He explains why our life is cut short. Death is common. It is universal, but it is not natural. We sometimes say things like dying is a part of living. No, it's not. It is not natural. Look at verse 3. He says, Thou turnest man to destruction and says, Return ye children to men. He says, God cuts our life short. And you see there where he says, Return. He's quoting Genesis 3. When God cursed Adam, you remember he told him, Out of the dust you were taken, and to the dust you shall return. He's saying we die because this curse God put on the earth is in effect and we live under this curse. We pretend death is natural, but it's really a violent interruption. Look at verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. As Moses thinks about the brevity of life, He feels oppressed. Moses was in the wilderness wandering with these people for 40 years until the entire generation but three men had died. Says there were 600,000 men that left Egypt the night of Passover. And they wandered in the wilderness till that entire generation, save three men, died. I've lost track, I think, in my ten years I've done maybe about 60 funerals. How many funerals did Moses have? 600,000? At 40 years, if you averaged it all out, and we know it, it's sped up towards the end. But at 40 years, that's 40 deaths a day. Moses was keenly aware that all his days were lived under the wrath of God and he found it oppressive. Jesus came to the grave of Lazarus. He saw his friend there in the tomb sealed. He saw Mary and Martha mourning and it says Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He groaned. Jesus even got angry. Why? (coughs) Because death is a disruption. It's his enemy, but it's fair. It's the wages of sin and we are sinners so we are justly under the wrath and curse of God but Jesus himself would take human flesh and blood and frailty and though he was perfect without sin he would finally take our sin upon himself that in his own body he would receive the wages of our sin that he would free us 
from the wrath and curse of God. Now, God's not going to change. We'll remain under the wrath of God, and, and as quickly as I can, my best prediction for 2019, thirdly and finally, those who feel their need will still find mercy. Look at verse 12. He says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. After he thinks about God's eternity and man's frailty, Moses cries out to God. And look what he, what he asked God for. First, he asked God for wisdom. He says, teach us to number our days that our hearts might become wise. John Calvin, one more time, said, It is a shame that man has learned to measure the distance from the earth to the moon, but he cannot measure the shortness of his own life. He's praying here, Moses, Lord, give me a sense of time. Help me to realize time is running out. The clock is ticking. Help me to use it wisely. Then in verse 13, he asked for mercy. He asked when he says repent, he's saying, God, turn from your anger and show us mercy. He deserves wrath. He deserves to go back to dust, but he asked for mercy. That's a sinner's prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, turn your wrath away from me. And then he asked for satisfaction. Verse thir- uh, 14, Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And in verse 15, I love that. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. You know what he's saying? Lord, make me glad for as long as you've already made me miserable. That's a good prayer. It's biblical. And you see, at the very end, he cries out to be delivered from this curse. Look at verse 16. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. It makes sense. The world is cursed. Everything returns to dust. This world is running down. We feel the wrath and curse of God when the things we do fall apart and the people we love pass away. So Moses prays, Lord, establish the work of our hands. It's going to fall apart if you don't do it. That's a great prayer for Clover ARP Church in this coming year. Lord, you've got to establish the work of our hands or it will come unglued. And then at the end, you see, he asked for the beauty of God to be upon us. The whole world is under the wrath and curse of God. I accept that. I can't argue with it. I don't like it, but it's true. But I want something more. 
He says, I don't just want to be under the wrath of God. I want to be under the beauty of God. And that's the wonder of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Because of our Savior, God will finally set us free from the curse. But even now, in this evil world, the beauty of God breaks in and rests on His people. Friends, as as another year slips away, you think of God's eternity and man's and our mortality and cry out for mercy. If this church will appreciate our weakness and our need enough to beg the Lord for mercy, He will do something beautiful and His beauty will rest upon Clover ARP Church in 2019. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou that changest not, abide with me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.